Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer podcast. This is episode 93. Today I'll be talking about the murder of 38-year-old Catherine Walker. My sources for today's episode are Killer Couples, Season 15, Episode 1, HawaiiNewsNow.com, People.com, StarAdvertiser.com, CBSNews.com, and WashingtonPost.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. Before their names made headlines across the nation, they were a military couple enjoying their lives in paradise. They were stationed in Hawaii. She loved being an army soldier's wife. But everything is torn apart by a sudden and vicious crime. We found blood stains on the mattress, blood on the floor. The purpose of coming was specifically to kill. The search for answers unleashes a tidal wave of sinful secrets. On November 15, 2014, in Honolulu, Hawaii, the police received a phone call just after 6 a.m. from an army medic named Michael Walker. Michael said his wife, Catherine, was lying on the floor with blood all over her body. Tell me exactly what happened. I just got home from work. I knew I came upstairs. I saw a lot of blood on the bed, but I saw my wife on the floor. If you couldn't really hear that call, Michael said there was a lot of blood and a knife near Catherine's body. It was clear that Catherine was dead before the police arrived. She had severe stab wounds. Michael and Catherine had seemed like a good match. Michael was outgoing and a jokester, and Catherine was warm and loving. They had gotten married on May 16, 2003, after being set up by mutual friends. Catherine grew up in Albany, New York, and Michael there, and Michael grew up in Vermont in a large family of devout Mormons. Michael was an army sergeant and medic. Catherine loved traveling with Michael and loved being his wife. In June 2013, Michael was transferred to the Tripler Army Medical Center on the island of Oahu, Michael and Catherine moved into a home on the Army Reservation base, and they became members of the LDS Church. Catherine volunteered for the church, and Michael would help on his days off. Michael also became involved in Boy Scouts for the church. Michael and Catherine had been planning to have kids. Catherine really wanted kids and would have been a good mom. The Army Criminal Division, or CID, came to investigate Catherine's death. The knife was found on the floor near Catherine's hand. There was very heavy blood pooling on the pillow and bed and on the floor. Michael was in a state of panic and seemed like he was under duress. Michael told the investigators that he thought Catherine had taken her own life. He said Catherine hadn't been herself and became depressed because they weren't getting pregnant. Catherine had suffered six miscarriages. The police were able to rule suicide out right away. The wounds wouldn't have been possible to be self-inflicted. The police also noticed that whoever had killed Catherine had searched the room after the stabbing. There was blood all over the light switch. There was blood on Catherine's purse, as well as her driver's license, and a swab of the blood was sent in for testing. There was nothing missing from the house and no sign of forced entry. The knife had been taken from the walker's kitchen knife block. People close to the couple and members of the army base were shocked by Catherine's murder. After talking to the CID, Michael was interviewed by the Honolulu police. The police also called the hospital to check Michael's alibi. He had been working a 12-hour shift at the hospital. Michael was then asked when the last time he saw his wife was. Michael appeared to be upset when talking about Catherine. I was getting ready for work. Didn't really see anything. But, you know, I say goodbye. She kissed me back. And then, um, I go away and... 
Michael said that Catherine was just acting weird, and the police told Michael that they knew Catherine hadn't committed suicide and asked him to think of what else could have happened. Michael was then asked if he had any affairs, and he said he was seeing a few people. Michael was having sex with men and women. He said he had met these people through Craigslist and other social media. He had been looking for any sex he could get. On the Friday before Catherine was killed, Michael had sex with a man he had met online. Michael also admitted that he was a sex addict and had even been paid for sex in the past. Michael had a very secret double life. There were now several new suspects that could have killed Catherine. Michael helped the police create a list of his sexual partners. These people were brought in for questioning. Michael had revealed to these people that he wasn't getting enough at home and was a sex addict. These partners all denied being involved in the murder and all insisted they didn't know Catherine. Most of Michael's partners had agreed to talk, but there were some that refused because these people had families and they lawyered up. Michael's phone and computer records were subpoenaed to create a thorough list of partners. He had texted several men in code for sex for money, but in months before Catherine's death, Michael had been speaking to one number. The number led the police to a 24-year-old civilian named Lisa Jackson. Lisa lived on the base with her parents and worked at a local movie theater. Her dad was in the army and lived less than a mile from the walkers. Michael communicated with Lisa more than he did with any other partner. The police asked Michael about Lisa. He admitted that they had more than a one-time hookup. He met her through Craigslist in September. Lisa had been asking Michael to leave Catherine. Michael said Lisa's attachment got worse when she saw him and Catherine out at the movie theater. Lisa had sent Michael several text messages about bringing his wife to her work. Michael said Lisa had been making threats to kill Catherine. Michael said after the threats, he had ended things with Lisa. Michael was asked why he didn't say anything about her right away, and Michael said he didn't think she was actually crazy enough to kill someone. Lisa was telling Michael in person and through messages that she heard voices and had bad thoughts. Lisa was suffering from schizoaffective disorder and had stopped taking her medication. The CID contacted the FBI about Lisa. Once they learned that Lisa wasn't involved in the military, the FBI took the case over. They went to the movie theater to search for her, but she wasn't there at the time. One of her coworkers was asked about Lisa, and the coworker said Lisa seemed nice and they'd hang out. Lisa had confided in her friend about her relationship with Michael. Lisa had been scheduled to work on November 16th, which is the day after Catherine's body was found. Lisa had been acting strangely at work. Lisa was wringing her hands together and claimed she had hurt someone. Lisa was also mumbling things like, he loves me, and that she did it for him. Lisa also started to cry and left work that day. The police made contact with Lisa's parents. She had been sent to Indianapolis to stay with relatives. The FBI surveilled her and continued to build their case. They obtained search warrants for records they needed. The forensic experts were able to retrieve hundreds of deleted text messages between her and Michael. Michael hadn't been honest when he described their relationship. They would discuss how great their sex was and she would call him pet names, like daddy cakes. Michael wasn't telling her to go away. The two were in constant contact up until the day that Catherine was killed. An arrest warrant was issued for Lisa. On April 24, 2015, she was arrested in Indiana by U.S. Marshals. She was then flown back to Honolulu. The police hoped Lisa would be honest about her involvement in Catherine's murder. 
Lisa was confronted about her deleted messages with Michael and her alleged threats against Catherine. Lisa said she felt like Michael really understood her. Lisa said once after they had sex, they began talking about their deepest desires. Lisa told, Lisa said Michael told her that he wanted to kill his wife or someone to kill her. He was leading Lisa to believe they'd be together if Catherine was killed. Lisa said she asked why he wouldn't just get a divorce and Michael said his Mormon faith wouldn't allow it. Michael also had a $400,000 life insurance policy on Catherine. Michael said the money would help them start a new life together, and Lisa said she was in love with Michael and had agreed. So on November 14th, Lisa said she met up with Michael at the recreation center on base. Lisa agreed to kill Catherine that night, and Michael wanted to be at work when Catherine was killed for his alibi. They set up a code word for how to get into the house. Good equals a window was open. Bad equals a key would be placed for her. Michael told Lisa to delete their text messages. Lisa said she went to the house around midnight, wore gloves and dark clothes, and Michael texted Lisa bad, which meant she needed to use a key. The key was found on the ground. Lisa unlocked the back door, found a knife in the kitchen, and went upstairs to find Catherine asleep in her bed. She then attacked her. Catherine was stabbed in the upper chest and woke up, but was able to jump out of bed. Catherine had asked who she was. Lisa said Catherine ended up on the floor and she stabbed her in the neck. Lisa said she felt remorse right away and Lisa claimed that Catherine had forgiven her. Lisa sat on the bed and watched Catherine die. After Catherine died, Lisa flipped the light switch on and searched through Catherine's purse. Lisa said she had opened the wallet and looked at the ID to make sure the person she had killed was Catherine. Catherine's blood was found on her purse, ID, and on the light switch. Lisa then, then said she walked home and waited for Michael to call her, but he never did. Lisa had extreme mental illness and was on medication. She had began to panic after Michael didn't contact her. Lisa was charged with murder. The police needed more than Lisa's confession to arrest Michael. They kept tabs on him and looked further into his text messages with Lisa. He was careful in his messages and never said he wanted Catherine dead or harmed. They did have messages where they talked about their desires, and then the police learned that desire was their code word for murder. In November 2015, Michael Walker was arrested. He was charged with aiding and abetting first-degree murder. Michael refused to cooperate. Lisa agreed to take a deal and would be sentenced to 30 years. More disturbing secrets about Michael came to light. A boy in Honolulu came forward that Michael had sexually assaulted him at a Boy Scouts meeting. Michael was also charged with sexual assault and was charged in military court for child pornography found on his computer. He was convicted for the child porn charges and sentenced to three years. He was given another 10 years for the sexual assault on the young boy, and he was dishonorably discharged. In October 2019, Michael pled guilty to second-degree murder. He admitted to conspiring with Lisa and wanted Catherine gone. He was sentenced to 35 years. Many believe Lisa was manipulated by Michael, who promised many things that would never happen. Catherine was loved by many people and didn't know the dark side of Michael. Lisa will be eligible for parole in 2050 and Michael in 2068. Now, I do agree that Lisa was manipulated. Manipulated. Michael believed that he could just say Lisa was obsessed with him and that the police wouldn't look through their hundreds of deleted text messages. I hope Michael rots in prison for what he did to his wife, that young boy, and Lisa. Lisa shouldn't have killed Catherine, but I think she truly thought she'd end up with Michael if she went through with what he wanted. Support for the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. 
Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. I gave these products to my amazing husband because we both like a shaven and nice smelling area. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived and Obsessed is an understatement. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawn Mower, 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold his goodies, or yours if you steal it. First off, the Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer is the future of grooming and dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Ladies, it's so good I'm thinking of getting one for myself. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawn Mower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight for a more precise shave. Say goodbye to his hairy mess on the bathroom floor and sink. Yes, thank God. Their performance package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin safe technology which helps reduce nicks snags and tugs in his delicate nose holes their crop preserver ball deodorant and crop reviver ball toner is the hygiene routine he needs for his balls it's like your skincare routine but for his goodies down there manscapes even threw in two free gifts with their performance package the manscape boxers and the shed travel bag bring his comfort and boxers to another level it's time to take care of the men you love, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping. Yes, free shipping with code CRIMEOCLOCK. One more time, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. Unlock his confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. My book recommendation for this week is She Started It by Sion Gilbert. The, life of a, the party of a lifetime is nothing like what they expected. Annabelle, Esther, Tanya, and Chloe are best friends, or were as children. Despite drifting apart in adulthood, shared secrets have kept them bonded for better or worse, even as their childhood dreams haven't quite turned out as they'd hoped. Then one day they receive a wholly unexpected, but not entirely unwelcome invitation from another friend, Poppy Greer, has invited them all to her extravagant bachelorette party. A first-class plane ticket to three days of white sand, cocktails, and relaxation on a luxe private island in the Bahamas. None of them have spoken to Poppy in years, but Poppy's Instagram pics show that the girl they used to consider the weakest link in their group has definitely made good and made money. Curiosity gets the better of them. Besides, who can turn down a posh all-expenses-paid vacation to a Caribbean island? The first-class flight and the island's accommodations are just as opulent as expected, even if the cynic island proves more remote than they'd anticipated. Quite remote, in fact, with no cell service and no other guests. The woman quickly discovered they'd underestimated Poppy and each other. As their darkest secrets are revealed, the tropical adventure morphs into a terrifying nightmare. I love a good mystery, and this book was definitely mysterious and suspenseful right away. Poppy becomes the richest member of her former group and once looked down upon in a way. Poppy and her friends from childhood are reunited, but things don't go as planned. Will they ever be friends again, or are there too many secrets between them? Or is Poppy just getting them back for once being underestimated? I give this book a 9 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode, and I'd love to know what you think. 
Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, email me at itscrimeoclocksomewhere at gmail.com, buy me a coffee, and please leave me a five-star rating and review. And again, thank you so much to my sponsor this week, Manscaped. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.